Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Katie Bell is an artist born in Rockford, Illinois, living and working in New York City. She received her BA from Knox College in Illinois and her MFA from the Rhode Island School of Design. She's had solo shows at venues such as OK Mountain Gallery in Austin, Texas, Backspace in Peoria, Illinois, Lipscomb University in Nashville, Mixed Greens in New York, the Brooklyn Academy of Music, Penn State, Drew University, Locust Projects in Miami, amongst others. Her group shows include Circuit 12 in Dallas, LVL3 in Chicago, Launch F18 in New York City, The Soho House in New York, Spring Break Art Show, Transmitter in Brooklyn, Rockford University, the Royal College of Art, and many others. Katie has received a NIFA Fellowship and a Marie Walsh Sharp Foundation space. She's taught as a visiting critic at North Texas, RISD, Denison University, Knox College, and many other schools. Her work has been covered in Art F City, Two Coats of Paint, Paper Magazine, Art News, Art Info, Vulture, Make Magazine, and many other publications. I stopped by Katie's East Village studio and we spoke about her days growing up as a twin, endless renovations, art school, getting your foot in the door, and dancing to bachata. Here's our conversation. Thanks for having me over. Yeah, thanks for coming. So where, where should we start? Where you started, where you grew up? Yeah, that sounds perfect. Sure. Um, I grew up in Rockford, Illinois. It's about an hour and a half west of Chicago on the Wisconsin borderline. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting place to grow up in that mm, what it's known for is it's the screw capital of the world. <laughs> So it's industry, that's like... It's really, I mean, used to be really industrial, yeah. kind of like a lot of those towns in the Midwest. Um, working also, class, or is it Very working suburban? class. Working class, more than suburban. It's yeah. almost too far away from Chicago to be a suburb. It's its kind of own entity, but it's really sprawling and pretty, um, pretty poor. Um, its other claim to fame are it's where Cheap Trick was born and raised That's the band awesome which is like people get really into that um and then the rockford peaches like women's baseball team oh um, really they mm-hmm, that they were in rockford and the stadium is there and um it's those are kind of the the markers was that, was that from the women's baseball league yeah that existed for um a yeah, while like right 10 15 years um yeah there's it's a street. The, the league of their own is. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's a street near me in Brooklyn that's called Betty Motreza Way. Oh, really? And I think she was played like she was from Brooklyn, and she. Yep. If I'm not mis, I'm probably dead wrong, but. <laughs> no, that does sound I, familiar to me. I think she was a star in that league. Yeah. It's really interesting that that happened and then just went away. It totally went away. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it is really interesting. Because there's I, no. Is there any? Girls playing baseball? I mean, softball, right? But Oh, yeah. 
Which but is no. kind of its own it's entity. Its own but, that's um, true. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, where I feel like guys aren't really playing softball, but, you know, girls have taken over softball. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting that that kind of became this huge phenomenon and yeah. then just disappeared once all the guys came back from the war. Faded into softball, which is weird. Why can't women yeah. just play baseball? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, look at women's soccer, how much better it is than the men's soccer here in the United States. Yeah. They're like four. Oh, anyways, they're... Right, they're really they're good. They're much stronger. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to bring yeah. back women's baseball, I think. We should do it. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, for it. so that was another claim to fame from where yeah, you grew up. Yeah, claim to fame. Um, Screws, Cheap Trick, and Rockford the Peaches. Peaches. Mm-hmm. Kind of an interesting trifecta there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I grew up in a really urban area um, in downtown Rockford, which at the time was really kind of all of my friends wouldn't come to my house because their parents thought it was dangerous. Um, but it, you know, it wasn't at all. It was all. just not polished. Yeah, it just wasn't. It was pretty rough around the edges. Um, my parents were also born and raised there and grew up. And so there's kind of this long, it's the type of place where um, people stay there. Yeah. Um, their families are there. Everyone knows each other, even though it's quite big. It's, I think it's like the second biggest city in Illinois outside of Chicago. But it's just so sprawling and everyone's just been there for so long that you know somebody that knows somebody. Yeah. Um, it's easy to be familiar. Like I go into the hardware store near my house still. Katie, like long time oh, really? no see. It's that yeah. small town feel, but in a, a pretty big city, which is kind of unusual. Do you go back a lot? Yeah. My parents are still there. Yeah. Um, Proving, proving the point. That proving people, the point. They're, I mean... People stick around. Yeah, and yeah, they got married when they were 22, and they bought a house, and they're still in that house, mm-hmm. and they've been working on it the entire time. Yeah. Um, and I have a twin brother who lives in the Twin Cities. <laughs> yeah. And um, so, yeah, I go back to the Midwest a lot to see them. That's cool. Mm-hmm. So when you were in, when you were young, were you creative? Or is it something that you kind of found later? Yeah, I was creative. Um, it's, what did your parents do? Um, well, so when I was, when it's weird to think about me as a singular. It's like John and I as twins were just a unit pretty much until we left the house. Um, so it's even weird to say like, oh, well, my mom, it's like our mom. Oh, yeah. Um, this is a twins thing, right? It, yeah. I mean, people talk about that like twin sense or whatever, but it just, right. it is this strange thing that, you know, from the moment you're born, you're just with this other person that experiences pretty much everything at the same time as you. And you you had no other siblings. No other siblings. So it's really just the two of you. Just the two of us. That's like my dad is a twin, but then there's like seven other brothers. Oh, uh Or a lot of other, I don't know, I can't even remember how many. That's a big family. (laughs) But yeah, you know, then that probably dilutes it a little bit. Yeah, right. But yeah, it's just the two of you. Yeah, and, um, yeah, and so I feel like, yeah, to talk about myself being creative, I feel like we were creative. Um, my mom, when we were really little, was a, a high school art teacher. Oh, yeah. And um, she worked in the public school. It was our neighborhood school. Mm-hmm. And so, like, all was of the... Was she your art teacher? No. Okay. Um, yeah, that's kind of another story. She ended up kind of switching careers when we were about 12. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but she would kind of come do um, kind of guest art classes oh, at yeah. my elementary school. Guest lectures. Yeah, get, right. Is that a yeah. guest lecture? <laughs> Um, and then my dad, um, he was in construction. He, um, really specializes in restoring old historic homes. Mm -hmm. Um, he started just as a house painter. Um, so when we were little, that's what he was doing. He was just painting houses, but then it kind of, um, evolved. There's a lot of really historic homes in Rockford that basically are, I mean, still to this day, it's like, you can just buy them for nothing. You know, Mm -hmm. they're just sitting there. Um, and so my mom and dad got really into historic preservation. And, um, and so my dad kind of just started training himself and learning from others on historic restoration. That's really cool. So you were basically, that's kind of a combination between like a fabricate or something like an applied mm-hmm. sort of hands-on thing with a creative side to it as well. Yeah. It's, it's like a, a merger mm-hmm. of the two, which makes kind of sense with what you do. <laughs> I know it's, um, it's one of those things that, uh, I really only realized, I think until after I was done with school after grad school. Um, I think, yeah, I just never, you know, so when things are so close to you, you often don't see them. And, um, I, I don't even, I don't remember how it came out, but I think someone just asked me, Oh, what, like, what did your parents, what do your parents do? And I was like, Oh, my dad, you know, build stuff and restore stuff. And my mom, an art teacher and they're like that's exactly your work right um which yeah yeah I was even thinking of where you came from like the claim the fame like the mm -hmm. screw fabrication or some sort of fabrication and then the peaches and there's a lot of peach going on in your work (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about cheap Cheap trick I mean are you a rock and roll fan did you grow up listening to cheap trick um (laughs) it's funny I feel like everyone in Rockford grew up listening to Cheap Trick, whether they were a rock and roll fan or not. Mm -hmm. And um, I've gone to many Cheap Trick concerts just for the fact that they're Cheap Trick. And And they probably play there. They play there all the time. Um, But what else were you listening to in high school? You know, in high school, I was really interested in Mm hip-hop. And most of my kind of friends and neighborhood, like, hangout crew um, were listening to, like, cumbia and bachata Mm -hmm. and that's what we would do we would just go out dancing um in the like hispanic clubs yeah and bachata really at that age i didn't know what bachata was until i came to new york i mean yeah that's it was a really interesting um you know it's like my parents at home were playing like the traveling wilburys bonnie ray (laughs) annie lennox um nino tempo and april stevens and then my friends were just coming from a, you know, what they were playing at home was really different. Yeah. And, um, so I feel like it, especially in high school, I was just coming from, I had a lot of different influences. Um, but what I really would just like jam out to in my room would be like Angie Martinez Mm -hmm. and LaBouche and, um, you know, like dance tracks. Yeah. Um, with kind of this like hip hop, like Latin flavor, I yeah. guess you would say. Um, but then simultaneously, my brother was in the next room, um, you know, like playing Ben Folds Five. Right. Um, well, that's nice that you had separate rooms. Yeah. 
Yeah, it didn't. It wasn't always that way. Um, yeah, do you feel like twins oftentimes are just thrown in the same room? Yep. <laughs> Sadly. Yeah. Sadly. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was that way for a while when we were toddlers. Um, my parents, the house that they lived in, um, was just because of their background was just always in a state of. I mean, they would say restoration. Right. I would say like total chaos disrepair <laughs> Dis- yeah you know they're like okay everyone's moving into this room will we oh, redo okay. this room so like this room will be closed off with plastic for months so it was like a work in progress your whole growing up my whole life yeah. and um you know they kind of still see it as that although when I go back it's um it's yeah I mean it's so they basically have restored it to its it's a Victorian house um and it's like a historic home museum. I mean, like almost all the furniture is from the Victorian era. Like all of the artwork. I mean, they've just really. They really did it. They, yeah, like, it's hard to even express this um, through words. Uh, but, you know, my mom hand stenciled all of the wallpaper. Um, my dad learned how to do these burlwood faux finishes where like every door in our house is inlaid with this faux burlwood finishing which was popular in the victorian era um at the time though it wasn't cool right you just thought this is a pain yeah and it's almost i mean when friends would come over my house i mean i guess just you know to to imagine this it's like we're going out to this club uh, like, car, you know, called like Aragona and, uh, to go dancing and my friends would come over and we would be sitting on this like Victorian furniture while we're like talking to my mom before we leave. Um, <laughs> it was just really, I don't, it, yeah, it was a really interesting and specific yeah. way of kind of viewing the world. I think now I think about the whole house as just a weird big sculpture that right. they've been working on their entire lives. Yeah, I wondered like if if you feel comforted by the sort of in processness of your studio and your practice. You know what I mean? Because there is a yeah. lot of kind of the feeling of things are being pulled together, but it's nothing's tidy. It's not about like finish. It's about process or something. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really true. Like, does some of the comfort of that come, or familiarity or interest in that come from what you grew up with, you know? I think so, and I think, um, I often think about scale a lot and Mm -hmm. how architecture informs my work, and I think just thinking about, I mean, even just thinking about, okay, we're going to close this room of the house off with plastic, and if you go in there, you're probably going to get dirty and there's plaster everywhere mm-hmm. and there's paintbrushes and hammers and there's nails sticking up. It was and this, that smell, right? Yeah, the smell yeah. of the paint and the, yeah, just the construction site smell. Right. It's very specific. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think about that still as almost a room scale being really particular yeah. and always thinking about something as, oh, we got to work on this room. They weren't, I mean, they were, you know, refinishing like a dresser, but it was always kind of thinking about something as a, as a room. Right. Um, it's interesting that I think a lot of times in talking to different people about their work, 
it feels like a certain aspect of their work is navigating just their past, not for good or bad necessarily, or it's just kind of like, I don't know, sailing through the waters that got them there in a way. Yeah. You know, but I don't know that no one would have known that looking at your work that like, oh, well, you know, this was the situation at the house growing up. Right. But it's a really interesting sort of, you know, note to think about in relation to like what you do. Yeah. And yeah. And there's all, I mean, a lot of this is remembered through pictures rather than I think actual memory, but there's just all these pictures of my brother and I building forts within the construction site or making drawings in the house of the weird construction. Yeah. Um, Well, it's fun, right? Super fun. Like when we redo, like we've been working on my son's room and we moved him to the other room Mm -hmm. and it's like a party, you know, it's like building tents and like, you know, it's just, it's fun because it's exciting. It's new. Yeah. But if we told him like, oh no, that's where you're staying forever now or, you know, for good, then that change isn't good. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like exciting for a little while, but there is something calming about having that home base in a way or like, you know, the status quo maybe. Yeah. So when you're in high school with all that happening and, you know, and you enjoyed art in high school, right? Yeah, I really enjoyed art. Even and though it wasn't your mom teaching. Yeah. That <laughs> Although that's probably that, a good thing. I right? was going to say, I think that yeah. would have turned, you know, it's like you never want to do what your mom tells you to do. Exactly. Um, but strangely enough, um, yeah, I mean, I guess also as a kind of this like sidebar, John and I went to this really... Um, avant-garde maybe is a way to say it elementary school mm-hmm. um which was founded on the principles of howard gardner he was a professor at harvard which is like the theory of multiple intelligences um do you, are you familiar not with this? at all i've never heard of it <laughs> okay I, it was very hippie um mm-hmm. uh so the idea is that everyone learns in really different ways you know it could be through music it could be through holding a physical object. It could be through moving through a space. It could be listening to someone else talking about it. Um, so the whole idea of this school was to try to hit on all of these different ways of learning. And so if you were maybe, I don't know, learning about, um, the ocean, you would, um, maybe hear a teacher talk about things that live in the ocean. You would then go to art class and, make drawings of things that live in the ocean. And then you would go to movement class, which is what they called it. And you would move like creatures of the ocean. Um, and, and so it was this really amazing, um, immersive. It seems like totally immersive. And I feel like just having that in addition to my parents being creative people, everything was rooted in the arts, whether I saw it or not in that context. Um, yeah, you, it doesn't sound like you were, really given a foundation for like a career in like law or something. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like it seemed like something more expressive or. Yeah. And I, and I think, I mean, I, I think that their thoughts were that even if maybe you were interested in law to have a foundation and to think creatively, you know, you'd be a better lawyer for it. Yeah. Um, it, would, it could inform anything you do in a, in a more immersive or rounded way right but yeah you may lean towards creative ways of life with that foundation completely um and so um yeah so we were in this kind of very experimental 
elementary school. And then in high school, we went to the most possible rigid Catholic school. Mm-hmm. Um, Other side of the coin. Exactly. So that must have been sh- like a shock to the system. Yeah. That's yeah. An understatement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nuns were our teachers. Uh, we had to wear these ridiculous uniforms. <laughs> um, you know, the full thing, the right. plaid skirt, the sweaters, yeah. the weird socks. Um, but, um, there's a lot of reasons why my parents made that choice. Um, but there was a, an amazing art teacher at the high school. Um, and she, she was so rigorous and expected so much out of the students. I think, I think coming to it, I always thought being artistic and art was this fun thing, but she was the first person I met where it was serious and, and kind of thought of it as this extremely serious pursuit and not frivolous. Which for you gave it weight, right? You felt like, oh, yeah. this is, it's not just something for fun. This can be something rigorous and like that you really invest, Yeah. invest in. Yeah. And I think to have someone that, um, like, sh- I mean, maybe because of the, the way the school was, but it was, it was almost like a disciplined mm-hmm. art practice yeah. where a lot of people thought she was not mean, but like, oh, I don't want to take Miss Penn's class. She's so strict. Yeah. Um, but she just expected the kind of utmost of it. Um, and, and that was a really, that kind of opened my eyes. What is, I mean, I didn't go to Catholic school, but it, uh-huh. I'm not Catholic. it is a Catholic school. That's kind of the, you know, that's what that's you come to think it is. Yeah, because there's not going to be some loosey-goosey teaching. It's going to be pretty yeah. firm. Right. It's like the day would be, you know, you go to mass, you go to confessional, and then you're in art class. Jeez. Um, you're like, mem- I mean, it's, yeah, it was like, a... <laughs> The public, to give a little background, the public school system in Rockford at the time was just really in kind of dire straits. And my mom was teaching and kind of knew this, the kind of absurdity and craziness of what was going on and kind of um, not exactly probably their most ideal situation. They decided to send us to this private Catholic school. Yeah. Um, was Which, an education choice over a religious choice? Oh, yeah. My yeah. parents are, like, not, you know, somewhat Unitarian-y, mm-hmm. like, loose, whatever. Um, yeah. So it was for the school, and I think as, as soon as we came home, you know, the first, the freshman year, it was like, what did we do? <laughs> They're, you know, we're coming home, and we're in bed, like, our father, like, you know, oh, trying yeah. to memorize all the prayers for the test the next day, uh, memorize 10 commandments. You had to like stand up and recite all these things. That's got to be a little weird for the parent. If you're not religious. Then. Yeah. My parents were like, uh, you know, I think they, they wanted to say just like, yeah. right. Like just blow this part off. But, but you can because it's strict school, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, there <laughs> literally you would go into the gym and it would be all school confessional and you'd have to go down and talk to the priest about your sins. And, you know, I just had, no, you know, I also, don't mean to laugh, but it's just, you no, know. I mean, it's just, it was so, I was coming from like movement class. Right. Yeah. Now you're 
move in with Jesus. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was a... It was interesting. Yeah. It's funny because I, where I grew up, there was a lot of Catholic churches and schools, and I had a lot of friends who went to Catholic school. Mm. And what is it called? CCD? Like catechism uh-huh. or something? Yeah. All the friends I had, I, 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 can, I think I can say all, or most, but I think all of my friends who did that were trouble. They became <laughs> like, you know, outlaws. They just, yeah. it was too strict or too much for them, and they had to like break out of that. Yeah. And they would be the ones drinking and partying. Exactly. And, you know. Right. That was kind of the ongoing joke about the school. You know, it's where all the partiers right. go to school. Even You know, it's that kind of opposite. Well, it's that thing you were saying before. It's like if you, if the last thing you want as a parent is for your kid <laughs> to snowboard. Right. <laughs> they're going to be a snowboarder. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you don't want them listening to punk rock, they're going to listen to punk rock. Yeah. So yeah. pick the thing you really don't want them to do and say, hey, do you want to get a mohawk today? And then they won't do it because you <laughs> right. want them to. No, right. really, you should get a mohawk and then they won't. <laughs> but at that time that you were taking the art class and it mm-hmm. was, you know, you were like, wow, this is serious business. Is that when you started to feel like, oh, maybe I'd like to go to art school after this or, or pursue art? Um, I, think, I think I realized it was a, my main interest. You know, it was what I was pouring most of my energy into. Um, Also, at the time, I was playing volleyball really seriously, like year-round, and um, that was a really big part of my life was sports. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I realized that it was a major interest and the thing in school that I was most drawn to, but I don't think I realized at the time that it was actually what I would pursue. I think looking back at makes sense but um at the time I was I was really all over the place yeah but when you when when you graduated did you take time or did you go straight to school no I went to um Knox College right after it's a small liberal arts college Mm -hmm. um so you felt like you could try the you know liberal arts you could just yeah sort of find what you want to do yeah and my parents were um really advocating for a liberal arts college Mm -hmm. My mom had gone to one, and um, I think after high school, neither John or I had really a clear... We were both really interested in art, and um, we just didn't really know. Um, And so we did the whole college tour kind of of the Midwest with my parents, and um, I ended up going to Knox and... um, my brother ended up going to Grinnell, this other... It's a very similar liberal arts college in Iowa. Um, and so, yeah, I think choosing to go to liberal arts made a lot of sense for me at that time because I just I felt like I was kind of just scraping the surface of my interests. Was it weird being apart from him for the first time for a long very time? Very weird. Yeah. Um, but much needed at the time. Right. We were... I mean, if you can imagine, it's like when you're younger and you're doing everything together, it's pretty fun. But then in high school, when you have different friend groups and you're sharing a car and every morning you're reliant on each other's schedules and, you know, everything was alphabetical. So we're always like either our lockers are next to each other, we're standing next to each other, you know, we're in the same art class. Um, So at the time it was like, I just don't want to be a twin. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Well, just that's want to be Katie. fortuitous. 
Yeah. So did you start, did you start taking art classes in yeah. undergrad? Mm-hmm. I, um, yeah, I took a lot of art classes. Um, I mean, the nature of liberal arts, I was taking kind of a lot of everything, yeah. but definitely heavy on art. How um, were the teachers? They were amazing. Yeah. And I really, you know, choosing the school, I didn't know that. I uh, was super lucky and kind of lucked out with just these totally amazing people that somehow had relocated to Galesburg, Illinois. Um, I, all the faculty like were coming from Yale. Um, there was a really young professor that had come right out of SAIC that was really influential to me. Actually, you've done a podcast with her, Claire Sherman. Oh yeah, Claire. Um, and so that was her first teaching job right out of school. And I was a junior mm-hmm. when she came and, um, she really kind of rocked my world and changed the scope of my work a lot. And so there was a lot of just really great influence um, happening there. And then I, I also just kind of looked out with my fellow classmates. There was a lot of really serious people. Like that, there at the right time sort of yeah, thing. It was like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like maybe this happens to people at different points in their life, but it was, yeah, it was like the right people, the right faculty. And, you know, with other students that are, pushing their work, it only pushes yours, you know, as well. So it was just, yeah, it was a kind of dreamy. You caught the wave at the right time. Caught the wave. Yeah. Because it happens, right? I feel like that happens with a lot of schools. Like you'll hear people say, oh yeah, there's just a group of students Mm -hmm. at that time and they all kind of fueled each other and, you know, and then the right teachers were there. It's just like a moment and then it kind of ebbs and flows, but. Yeah. Yeah. You probably, I mean, same, uh, now with myself teaching it, you kind of see that sometimes yeah, yeah. where there's just a group of students that kind of foster each other's work and it kind of propels. And you need, or they need that because yeah. the, the professors can push as much as they want, but if they don't catch the fire and like sort of propel each other and competition is good, you know, like yeah. pushing each other and, you know, I don't competition's not quite the same as it used to be like when I was in school. You mm-hmm, know, I think mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. these days are a little more, which is nice. They're nicer to each other. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> a little more supportive. Right. Everybody and, gets A's. Yeah. Like, yeah. we're all doing great. But, um, yeah. no, and I think there's still competition, obviously. But, yeah, I mean, it used to be a little more, you know, competitive, competitive. But yeah. that's good. Like, that can really drive you. But you'll get that group of students, and you can just see that they're all, whether they say it or not, they're jockeying to, like, you know, push themselves further than the next person. And that's yeah. when it gets really good. Yeah. And that's when the energy level... You need that, I think. Yeah. In undergraduate school, definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In grad school, you kind of, people start to do their own thing a little more and you're, you know, Mm. really utilizing your time, but you need that community in undergrad, which is so important. So it was a good experience. And what were you making then? Like, what was the Um, work like? So I was making um, really large scale, kind of similar in scale to my work now, but um, works on paper. So I was, um, collage, some collage. Um, they were all home interiors that had kind of gone through some sort of tragedy. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess maybe a lot more narrative, uh, in a kind of specific way than my work is now illustrative. Um, so a living room that maybe had gone through a torrential storm, or a flood. And so it was kind of half, um, imagined spaces 
and then half working in actual interiors. And the charcoal, acrylic, um, a lot of erasing as kind of mark making, mark making. And the scale just kind of kept getting bigger and bigger where the, my body became, you know, my, the gesture of my arm became the gesture of the, the mark in the work. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then kind of as I, as you know, you become a senior, you get your own studio. And, um, at the time Knox now has a new building, but at the time all of the senior studios were in the basement of the dance studio and the dance studio was in this kind of old, almost like gym armory kind of building. So you just heard people dancing upstairs all the time. Exactly. And so, um, you know, the music would be playing of whatever they're dancing to, which you run the gamut of all kinds of things. And then you would just hear these like, like all the steps on the kind of like rubber. Yeah. Um, which at the time was really annoying, but I think was actually really influential to almost like the, not to be cliche, but like the rhythm of my work. Right. Um, it had this kind of energy to it that, that had, um, yeah, rhythm and movement and, um, Anxiety. <laughs> I and, can imagine there'd be a little yeah. like tension with that, yeah, as well. But but you know, everything um, has like an influence, but also something that you're, you know, fighting. It's, it's, uh-huh. Yeah, or it's it's making an imprint that you didn't necessarily ask for. Anymore. Exactly. In the yeah. same way that people work under duress, whether it's like they don't have enough space in their studio yeah. or they're in a hurry, they don't have a lot of time, whatever it is, but. I can imagine that constant feeling of something on top of you. <laughs> right. The fact that it's also on top of you. Uh-huh. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I started, I was saying I was like working from home interiors. Then I started to build my own still lives to draw from. Mm-hmm. And that's, I feel like really where I see the connections in my work now. So I would kind of construct these spaces where, everything was constructed. I was like making my own chair out of foam and wood mm-hmm. and then sewing my own tablecloth that then went on the table, bringing in a bunch of, um, paper that's crumpled up and then suspended or, you know, everything was constructed. It wasn't as if I was bringing in a couch and a rug. Um, so the, it kind of became this whole world, but I always really thought about it as a still life to then draw from. Were you, um, were you kind of like an all day, all night work? Were you really in the zone or were you just still kind of busy with the other subjects and kind of like, you know, Yeah. Um, or were you full on like, this is what I'm doing now? I, I think senior year I got really invested. I was also a race and gender studies, mm-hmm. um, major and I was playing volleyball at the same time and through school, which just take, that's like its own culture. Um, right. And intense, right? Really intense. All like, sports in college. Yeah, you're intense. on this like, you know, you can on a diet in the cafeteria, and you have to train certain, you know. Um, so that really kind of defined my schedule was my working out, and um, so senior year, I once the season was over, it was like okay, I this is it. I it's time to Focus. Just pour yeah. myself into this. Were you already thinking I might go to school after this? No. Okay. So um, was, this was it. I felt, I, you know, I, it's, it's strange in retrospect to kind of realize how I, I just was coming from, I just was pretty naive. Um, 
what's well, not art school per se. It's you know? not art and, school. And you just kind of, it seems like you just kind of came into the process of it and enjoyed it. It's not like you were, you know, I'm moving to New York to go to, no. you know, Pratt or to Parsons or something, you know, it was. Yeah. It was and to, of, I mean, to be honest, I had never thought about moving to New York ever. Mm-hmm. I had been to New York once when I was 10 to see a Yankees game. Never been. <laughs> really? Yankees? Yeah. Why? Did... My brother was obsessed with, like, Babe Ruth when he was little. And oh, somehow, okay. like, he got really into the Yankees. Huh. Um, you know, he, like, read a book about Babe Ruth. And then, I don't I don't know. You're um, probably a Yankees fan now, though, right? No. No? Oh, okay. I don't even... You don't care about baseball. I just don't really care about baseball. Okay. <laughs> Do you? Uh, loosely. <laughs> Mets? Yankees. Yankees. I mean, okay. I'm in a Japanese family, so it's okay. by default, you know, yep. when Matsui came over and played for the Yankees, it was a huge thing. Yeah, So of that kind of, you know, forced that fanship upon me. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, at baseball, I remember after, after 9-11 and watching mm-hmm. the news 48 hours a day for mm-hmm. like, you know, month after month yeah. and all that stress and anxiety. And then I went through a period where like, I don't want to watch any news, any, mm. you know, I kind mm-hmm. of purged. Yeah. And baseball in the studio was really nice because wow, it yeah. was, even if I'm not listening to it, if it's just on and I'm listening to music, there was something nice about the pace yeah. of turning and looking at it because it's like this slow process, you know, yeah. that I don't know. But nowadays I'm not, I don't really watch it anymore. Yeah. M- much. But I do like to take my son to baseball games. It's kind yeah. of like, you know, you can go eat. It's basically you go eat food. Right. I was going to say, I like the activity of a baseball game. Yeah. I don't know if I necessarily care about the teams. I guess Cubs would be my default. Right. Um, but, yeah, I, I like the hot dogs and the beer. Yeah. I mean, that's part of it. <laughs> that's a big part of it. <laughs> yeah. So you only went to New York once. Yeah, and... Um, so what happened when you were a graduate? Did you have, like, a thesis show, a senior show? I had show? a thesis show. Um, the title of the show was Hook, Ladder, Toilet, <laughs> which is funny. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't know what was next, and I was applying to design jobs. I feel like, like, a lot of under... Like, a lot of people who are interested in art but don't really know... Like, design is just, right. like, the obvious Some default. job, right. Like, oh, graphic design. So yeah. I applied to a job working at Hallmark in Kansas City designing greeting cards. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I know. That would have been a disaster. Um, or would it? Or would it? <laughs> Maybe you'd have some, like, really avant-garde greeting cards. Right. Um, yeah. So I applied to that job um, through Claire Sherman. Mm-hmm. We I remember sitting and having coffee with her. It was, like couple weeks before I was graduating, I had told her I applied to this job in Kansas City. And she said, what are you thinking? This is totally crazy. That's like Don't a, you want to make art? A life raft in the life decision exactly. department. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I was just, exactly. I was just floating. Um, and she said, no, 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 this is, no, like, okay, we need to have another <laughs> meeting and actually discuss what's happening. And um, really through the influence of Claire and then this other professor I had at the time, Mark Holmes, um, there's a post-baccalaureate program at Knox, which is just for, it's not open to like outside people. It's just its own students, basically a fellowship year um, where you can apply and you can take classes for free and be a TA for 
whatever department. Sometimes known as a victory lap. I was going to say, that's exactly <laughs> what I needed. Right. Um, yes, a victory lap. So um, I got my victory lap. Yeah. And Which I, can be so good because you're somewhere comfortable. Yep. You can make your work. And you have some time outside of just doing classes all day or worrying about school to where you can just start to think about what yeah. the next step is. I mean, it really... I think that year is actually the kind of change my life year where I didn't have anything to do besides my work. I was bartending and I just went to my studio every single day. Isn't that amazing that you could have, there was a fork. I know. I know. One was that and the other was Hallmark. We would have, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then at the fork in the road was Claire. Isn't that funny? (laughs) It was a dynamite painter who just happened to. Who just. Yeah, and I'm still good. I'm still really good friends with Claire, and we actually teach together now. And I look at her sometimes. I'm like, what? Yeah. How did this happen? Um, That's yeah. pretty cool. It's really cool. But then you, let's be honest. If you did go get the job at Hallmark, you'd probably be like one of the best card designers ever. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it probably. I mean, out. right? Kansas City's cool. Um, who, yeah, it's hard to say. It is, it's amazing, though. That's like, that's life. It's such that's, a weird thing that, like, you can make one turn. Yep. You know, you make a left instead of a right, and then it's a whole different path. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you took the year. I took the year, and it I. It was good. I felt like an artist. I went to my studio every day. I had a little bit bigger studio on campus. I was helping out teaching, and I just felt all of a sudden, I think probably for the first time, that you're an artist and people kind of respected me as that on campus, like this older student that is working in her studio. Did you still have the, the tapping on your head? I did. (laughs) Um, I learned to embrace it. Um, and kind of became a running joke. (laughs) Uh, yeah. And so that year, um, I just, I felt the momentum where I I thought, okay, I just have to keep going now. Like, how can I figure out a way to keep a studio and just keep working? And really through the, like, once again, through the influence of faculty, they thought you should just apply for school, uh, apply for grad school and just see what happens. Sometimes it takes a few years to get into where you want to be. Like you have the support of the school right now. Just shoot for your like top places sort of thing. Yeah. And um, still being really naive, I, I didn't really know. At the time, I just wasn't, I just, I didn't know what the top schools were. Mm-hmm. I mean, the faculty was helping me out, but I thought, oh, um, I'm going to apply to 12 schools, <laughs> which now I'm like, that's so it's absurd. A lot. Yeah. Right, right. And the schools just didn't even make any sense on the same list where it would be like Yale and... Northern Illinois University. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the same, like the person that goes to Yale isn't going to be like, oh, actually maybe Northern Illinois. You know, like it's not the same <laughs> right. student. Um, but I really just had no, I mean, I was in the middle of like prairie lands of central Illinois. I had no idea where I kind of stood in terms of like where could I even get into school. So I did the whole thing, applied to a bunch of schools um, and I ended up going to RISD, which was totally life-changing. Yeah. So Providence for two years. Providence for two years. How I remember um, showing up the first time and, you know, all these students are walking around with portfolios. And I thought, wow, everyone here is an artist. 
That's um, all it takes. And I just thought... That's all it takes, right? It's like walking around. Green green hair or a portfolio. And it's like, oh man, this is serious. This is totally serious. Yeah, and everyone just looked cool. Right. Um, You know, interesting like fashion sensibilities that were new to me. Cool music taste. Mm -hmm. Like everyone was the cool kid. And I really had only only known a couple cool kids, you know, in my mind at Knox. And I felt like they were all coming from New York. Mm -hmm. Um, so I thought, oh man, this is where these people are. All the cool people. What years was this? Um, 2009 to 2011. Gotcha. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it just totally, you know, I didn't even, to realize that textiles is a thing you could major in or apparel design, industrial design, all of these things that just weren't available to me. You had to recalibrate, right? Oh, I mean, yeah, recalibrate is a a really good word. Yeah, it's just like all this other stuff. Yeah, and and really, I mean, recalibrate maybe is a nice way of putting it, but catch up. I mean, I was fish out of water, Um, and especially with my fellow... um, I was in the painting program um, with my fellow classmates. I mean, they were amazing they most of them were coming from new york or had lived in new york a long time they had a lot of them gone to art schools as undergrads they were you know working for in my mind really famous artists and then they decided to go to grad school or you know stuff now that seems really normal to me yeah it was unbelievable right but there's something to be said too right for i mean in retrospect for kind of getting your start and not being distracted by a million different things in a way. You yeah. know what I mean? Like keeping it simple in the beginning, even if you didn't realize you were keeping it simple. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Whereas if you go, if you're just, let's say you went to undergrad, you didn't even know you were going to do art. Mm-hmm. And you start taking art classes. Let's say you did go to RISD where mm-hmm. you thought, I'm going to do something artistic. But then there's all these options, all these different things. And it's almost like it could be too many choices too yeah. early on or like people who go to art school for undergrad in New York city. Mm-hmm. I always imagine there's so many things to do other than make art. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're, if you get your start somewhere boring or kind of <laughs> slow or you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Then when you get to the fast pace, you're like, wow, this, okay, this is something I can sort of get a hold of, or, you know, or like yeah. ride this wave, you know what I mean? Yeah. But you probably like, wow, this is a huge wave. And yeah, this was like the Big Sur, and yeah. I felt like I was a just raw sponge trying to soak up, but not even having the capacity to soak up a tiny bit of it. You know, pe- and people are just spewing all these artist names, and most of them I had never heard of, and and just you know, mental note, mental note. Every time right. we're just like casually out having a beer. I feel like they're just in their element and I'm like, wait, wait, what, 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 what? You know, in my mind, I'm like, okay, remember this, remember that, go look up this, go look up that. I spent so many hours in the library um, just trying to catch up. And I mean, catching up in art world stuff. What's the vocabulary? Yeah. You know, it's kind of the visual vocabulary of what we're in. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of people in schools who say, oh, yeah, I don't really care. I don't want to be influenced by people. I don't really care mm-hmm. about artists. But it's like it's your vocabulary. Yeah. You kind of have to know the language, right? Yeah. And then you, when you, I hit that point when I was in undergrad, I remember 
you know, one of my teachers mentioning an artist, I think it was Bruce Nauman or something. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, who? I have no <laughs> idea. And then going to the library, cause back then no Google, right? going to the library and just looking up art magazines and finding Bruce Nauman and being blown wow. away. And then, yeah. okay. And then who's Paul McCarthy? Who's this? And then Chris Burden, you <laughs> wow, know, like yeah. that kind of mm-hmm. and feeling, oh, there's so many people out here making so yeah. much stuff that I'd have no idea. Yeah. And then that, that anxiety of like, oh, I got to learn all this stuff. Yeah. Like, I really have to get on it. Yeah. and But that's different in undergrad probably, like you're saying, <laughs> than being in grad school where you feel uh-huh. like there's more pressure to... Yeah. Like, you know, people were being mentioned in my critiques and that artists <laughs> that seemed really familiar to everybody else, I was just you know, rapidly writing all of it down. Yeah. You're like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. Whoa. You know, my yeah. head is just like, there's like the kind of stars from like yeah. a Looney Tunes, um, yeah, the, <laughs> cartoon, the Wiley Coyote one when he gets hit with the anvil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, uh, yeah. So the first year was really rocky because I was just, a sponge. <laughs> yeah. Catch up. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, on top of just soaking up, I feel like I could have been a fly on the wall and it would have been enough. Yeah. But, of course, in addition, you're having your work totally ripped apart and you're questioning what you're making. And um, What were you doing at the beginning? I was still making these really large-scale drawings. So I kind of applied to RISD with drawings. Um, and, you know, they were large. They were kind of like sheet of plywood size, like four mm-hmm. by eight, or I would combine pieces of paper, like large paper together. So almost mural scale. And they were these, they got more abstract. Um, it was right before I went to RISD, I was waitressing and bartending and I would make drawings from this industrial kitchen that I was in the restaurant that I, the next door to where I lived. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of like industrial cooking equipment in the drawings, um, kind of movement of the kitchen translated through pastel, charcoal, acrylic, some collage. So when I got to RISD, I was making these drawings and it was really my comfort zone. I feel like everyone kind of maybe goes to school with, you know, this is what I do. Your tool belt, so to speak. Yeah, this is what I'm theoretically good at you know I got this is what I do this is what I do and then um I was doing my thing that I did and uh that didn't last long uh you know recalibrate um, in the studio yeah I mean through some really harsh critique of like okay you have to make something else this is this can't be it the work has to progress from here yeah so I kind of I boxed up all my drawing material and I started going back to when in college when I was building those still lives to draw from I just started making the still lives in the studio again and the still lives kind of turned into these drawing painting installations that became really large yeah did you have faculty there were there certain teachers that you really responded to or that were helpful yeah um Carrie Moyer was there Mm -hmm. Um, Dennis Congdon, who's a painter, is amazing. Holly Hughes, um, Kevin Zucker, that Jessica Dickinson, was kind of my main, yeah. Cr- you know, yeah, crew of faculty, and they were extremely influential to me, and and I mean, really pushed my work in a way that at the time was extremely uncomfortable and almost, you know, devastating. Yeah. But um, which I I mean I feel like a lot of people go through in grad school. 
um, but, you know, really got the work to a place that I would have never been able to on my own. Right. It's the famed breaking it all down process and yes. building it all back up. Yeah. Again. Mm-hmm. The carpet being pulled out from under you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that happened, yeah, many times with tears. <laughs> yeah. But it does, at the end of it, it sucks, right? But at the end of it, you're like, well, it kind of makes you stronger in a way. You know, like you, you do kind of, I don't know, just building something back up again forces you to kind of empty out that tool belt that you said that you brought in of like, this is what I do or whatever. And it's like, well, wait, why do you do that? Is it just because it's something you're good at or is it, what's the conceptual side of it that's really resonates with what you're thinking about or what you Mm -hmm. want the viewer to get out of it? Mm -hmm. Why are you doing it? And then that's a hard question when you're in school and you're just starting to feel good about what you were doing in undergraduate school. And it's like, oh yeah, I'm kind of good at this. And then you get to a stage to where people are asking you like, but why are you doing this? (laughs) Yeah. Just what's, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think few people, well, some do people at that point do, but a lot of people aren't there yet. They're just like, I did. Yeah. That's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, it got to the point where there was faculty that, I mean, it, yeah, it was like if you bring another drawing to a critique, like we're not talking about your work anymore. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it really got me out of my comfort zone. And I, I was there with some really great people, um, like in class with me. Um, and I, I, yeah, I just, it was a huge, huge life explosion moment for me in so many, in so many ways that now thinking, thinking back to even undergrad or, um, high school, it, it's just so far removed from where I was coming from. Yeah. Were there tangential question, were there other things in Providence? Cause there's a lot of music. There's a lot of stuff there. Was any of that influence or were you doing that other stuff too? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I really enjoyed just living in Providence. Um, I mean, as I said, I'd only been to New York once when I was 10 and I had never been anywhere else on the East coast. Yeah. And so even just the being the weather is yeah, different. I mean, well, yeah. Or even too different, but. just being by an ocean yeah. was really weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the land ends and, 15 minutes that way. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah. And I have Brown right there. Um, mm-hmm. so being able to go to so many concerts, so many lectures, um, was really, I would go to ASU 20 all the time, which yeah. is the like, um, right. print shop music venue, mm-hmm. um, kind of alternative music space in yeah. Providence. Um, yeah, it was incredible. There's this really cool place called dirt palace, which is a bunch of this like feminist art collective that would host cool concerts. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was, it just felt really magical. I don't mm-hmm. really know how else to describe it, but I'd never lived in a place where there was just so many creatives, not just artists, but it was just, it felt like a really vital kind of aspect to the community in Providence. Yeah. Were there any, what was the music scene like there? Cause I mean, like Fort the, Thunder had kind of come and gone. They um, were in the early two, th- or yeah. Yeah. Because I played the band that I was in played at that a, what was it called? A- AS 220. Yeah. But uh-huh. that was in the late nineties. Okay. And I think it was just getting started if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So I don't even think lightning bolt and force field and those bands were, well, maybe they were playing then. But yeah. it was just starting if they were. Right. Yeah. But I think that wave, that 
scene had already become kind of legendary mm-hmm. before when you were there, right? But yeah, totally before I was there. It was legendary when I was there. Yeah. Um, actually, when I was in school, there was a show at the Rizzi Museum that just featured the posters from Fort Thunder. Yeah, that's um, when it's hit. Like, yeah. You know, the masses. Right. I'm like, okay, museum show. <laughs> museum of posters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So kind of like the culture of that was there, but you wouldn't go there. Right. Um, Jim Drain was around and yeah. doing weird stuff where he lived. And um, it's always kind of out stuff, though, you know? Yeah. Avant, yeah. like just pushing, pushing it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think um, there's a. I think just because of that history, there's a lot of noise bands that came through Providence, but it was um, kind of less and less that they were in um, alternative venues. But they were, you know, in the actual venues. Venue venues. Yeah. yeah it, it, I think it um, just predates my time there, but noise music was just a part of Providence when I was there. Yeah. Like it had become embedded in the culture of the city rather than being kind of this like outsider thing that was right. only in Olyville. It was in downtown Providence in the venues because there was the audience for it. It's so nice there too, how it's tied to art. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? A lot of times yeah. there are kind of parallels that, you know, there's a fertile music scene somewhere and then there's some art, an art scene that's doing some interesting things, but there it's so tied together. Yeah, completely. And it blurs the lines between the two, which is really kind of exciting creatively mm-hmm. for a place odd that not odd i was about to say odd that it happened in providence mm-hmm. it's just odd at how specific and how well it kind of you know it was a wave you know it's just yeah. a big wave happened there at that time yeah and i don't know it does you're right that it is a little bit strange it happened in providence which is kind of this like weird mob town um i think with RISD and brown and yeah. you have a lot of people kind of you know you would think trying to push the envelope of things yeah. you know but yeah, yeah, it's just happened. I mean, did you ever go to New London? No. There was a venue. I mean, I've been there, but I yeah. haven't gone there to see. There shows. was a music venue there that was really, it was great, and they would have all these shows. Of, what like, was it called? People, the Temporary Autonomous Zone, Taz. Oh, cool. And it was right by the water, right by the lighthouse, uh-huh. and um, there were a lot of great musicians who would come through and play there, mm-hmm. and you know they would play Providence too. But there was a, it was a really active scene, you know, mm-hmm. on the coast there between Connecticut and. Providence and yeah so the second year you kind of started making the sculptures and you started yeah. would you say your work got close to where it is now right yeah mm-hmm. I then, really started um working directly on the wall mm-hmm. um so things kind of became somewhat site-specific or temporary and kind of incorporated more um, like for lack of a better term like painting language or yeah paint stuff um with sculptural actual material and then kind of started working back and forth where the material kind of became just as important as the paint and they kind of married each other into a sculptural painting that kind of existed on the wall but also in the space and when was the moment when you know new york is next happened um was that just in school because you're in grad school and that's what you do or yeah i mean it started to, I really wasn't thinking about it. I was just, I was so focused um, in being in school. Mm-hmm. And then kind of, you know, right towards the end, towards the thesis show, talking to my classmates and realized that pretty much everyone was headed to New York. 
and most of them headed back to kind of a life that they had put on hold. And I thought, well, that would be crazy if I moved to New York. I mean, I don't have a job. I don't have a studio. I only know eight people. I mean, I just, it felt so... Daunting? Yeah. I mean, rightfully so, I feel like. And I'd never really lived in a big city. Um, It just felt like there were so many unknowns. I think everyone, every artist who's graduating from some program outside of the city and they're going to move to the city for the first time has that. Like, how am I going to do this? Yeah, it just, uh, yeah, I don't know. And um, just through my friends in school, everyone was applying to all the stuff, you know, Skowhegan, Murray Sharp, um, LMCC, you know, all the like kind of some landing spot. Yeah. Either like a residency or some sort of free studio thing. And so I was just like, okay, I'll do that too. Yeah. And, um, and I got into Marie Sharp. And so I had heard that I had gotten in right like the week before I was graduating and I thought, well, okay, now I can check one of those things off. I have a studio to go to. There's your foot. That's a big check. Huge. Especially because when you came down the it's not cheap anymore, right? It's, oh, no. It, yeah, you you didn't enter low. Yeah, no, no. I had no idea how I was going to afford it. And, and, like, leaving in this crazy amount of debt. I mean, it yeah. all just was kind of... I was just going with the flow until I kind of hit reality and realized there was all these other kind of life things to figure out. And so when the Marie Sharp thing worked out, I thought, whoa, okay, this seems... Well, I have to go. That's a crack in the door. Yeah. The door of reality that just slammed me in the face once (laughs) I graduated. (laughs) It hits hard, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, it felt like this super lucky moment. Yeah. It's almost like verification. Like, you didn't need that. I mean, technically, now, looking back, you didn't need that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But... At the time, that's the sort of like green light that you need. Right. Otherwise, you're like, okay, I'm moving down to this really expensive city with yeah. a degree that may not be employable. Yeah. Experiences are. <laughs> no money. Bartending. But... Like, right. I worked at the Nature Lab at RISD. You know, I like had all the, my resume was just quite peculiar. Um, Professional bachata dancer? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Like a uh, cumbia like, specialist. Are yeah. around? <laughs> yeah. Um, so that yeah. got your foot in the door. Yeah. And you met people there. Yeah, it was incredible. How I many mean, people were usually in 17 it? 17-ish. Um, it was complete. Yeah. I feel so lucky. It, uh, you know, to come to a place where I only knew a handful of people that I went to school with that were kind of going back to their lives where I was creating a life mm-hmm. to all of a sudden be introduced to just such a wide range of people people and in all places in their career you know some people have been working for a really long time others were kind of more right out of school like myself um but all of a sudden to kind of have this I don't know if they would view it this way but I thought oh I have 16 friends um these are my built-in friends like they're gonna like me and I'm gonna talk to them and make them my friends (laughs) We're in this together. Yeah. And I think for most of the people, I mean, most of the artists were more um, mid-career and had, you know, had this whole life and they've lived in New York a long time. And I'm just like, hello, coming, you know, everything's new. Yeah. Um, 
And so I was probably, I mean, looking back, I was probably a bit overeager, but I was just ready to meet people yeah. and ready to have friends. <laughs> You know, hey like, everyone. hey, everyone, um, do you guys want to get a drink or, um, you know, knocking in everyone's doors? Hi. Uh, yeah. And, you know, especially at the time, I just felt so Midwestern at the time or something right. where I was just like, I don't know. It. Yeah. But you did have all those people, which is a great thing. You know, it's a, yeah. it's a great community that you stepped into. Yeah. And to just have like the biggest studio I'll probably ever. Right. <laughs> Have. I mean, I had this amazing, huge studio. It's good to set the bar in an unattainable, <laughs> gigantic high for right. a long time. Then, yeah. You know. Yeah. And just was there with some really cool people that um, I got really close with and and kind of, in a way, still had that community that I found mm-hmm. in grad school where there was people to give me feedback on my work. You know, there was people that were showing at galleries and their their people were coming through and... I was there and I met, you know, it was just a kind of a, a year of connecting in all these different ways that yeah. I don't think would have happened if I just moved here. Well, a good transition between that and sort of like what you're doing now mm-hmm. is, so having that big studio space there yeah, where you can work big, I mean, and your work is oftentimes material process based that you're manipulating and then doing in large scale mm-hmm. or I'm, is it? I don't know how often you do. I mean, I've seen work of yours, obviously, that's really large scale. Right. And sculpt, I mean, do you consider, I mean, sculpture is a big part of your process, right? Or do you just consider it painting in space or I don't know what the verbiage is, but you're working with some big materials in space, basically. So studios, that can be tricky. Yeah. That amount of space. How do you navigate that in your process? Um... Through a lot of different avenues, um, I, I kind of committed when I first moved here and had that really big studio, I thought I was, I just was like, okay, I'm going to make the biggest things. So I made, yeah, yeah. I got the space. Um, so I was making really large sculptures, really big kind of wall installations. And after that year, I knew that I was going to have to kind of get back to reality and have a smaller space. I thought, well, I never... I just never want my studio space to affect the scale of my work. It just doesn't, it just seems like it would be such a shame. Yeah. Um, and so I've kind of navigated ways of being able to make the big work on site rather than in my studio. Mm-hmm. So um, what I've kind of been doing for the last few years is getting these shows where I just fly there with my tools And then I spend a few weeks there, I gather all the materials there, and I make the piece in the space that it's going to be shown in. Mm -hmm. Um, So it kind of turns in almost to like a residency or, um, I don't know, like a... Mm Site-specific residency installation. Yeah. But the nice thing, I'm sure that you've done some pieces, large-scale pieces, that look so incredible that like other people don't need to see or they can see a maquette or they can see a mock-up yeah and then you can go realize that in person because you have this experience of being able to do some projects that are really large scale that are pretty impactful yeah and I mean it took a it took a long time to build that up when I first um get out of grad school I was in this amazing group show at the decor of a sculpture park and Mm -hmm. museum and at the time I really didn't have I had very little experience showing and the curator came to my studio and proposed my work in this two-story 
really large, like 30 foot by 20 foot space. And she wanted, you know, to see my work. Right. (laughs) And I was in transition and my studio was in my apartment. And so I built something in the parking lot across the street from my house for the studio visit. That's amazing. And, um, you know, I... Did it work? I mean, it worked. I mean, I got in the show, which was all I, you know, that's what I was trying to do. And I ended up, um, yeah, kind of creating this process of making models through the tiny scraps that are in my studio. Mm -hmm. So once I, but it was, I mean, it was a big leap of faith for her to say, yeah, do this huge thing in this show I'm putting together. Um, And so once I've kind of built up doing a few large works, I feel like the trust grew in terms of people asking me to do things um, without seeing the actual work. So my studio right now almost acts as a, I'm making some smaller scale things that are movable, kind of constructed paintings out of found material, but it almost acts as a, a, I don't know, like a landing site for stuff I find and a that I want to think way, about. Right? Yeah, like the whole studio is a sketch and I'm thinking about material and I don't know what the material means. It's more of this almost like thinking space where I'm I move things around a lot, I look at them a lot, I sit on my couch and just stare at them a lot. Yeah. Um and then I'll make models if I have a project coming up. And then there's this extreme performance anxiety that happens when I show up in the space and all I have is this model that I can hold in my hand, but I'm about to make it like a 30 foot crazy thing in this lobby that'll like be up for a year. Um, but I've gotten to the point where I kind of, I know my anxiety Mm -hmm. and I can kind of feel when this is good anxiety or this is bad and I need to kind of regroup. Yeah. 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 And make it productive instead of destructive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was a few, you know, early on, you really had that's something I feel like I related a lot to playing volleyball where, and you probably know from playing soccer, there is this kind of performance anxiety that can turn on you and it just, everything fails yeah. and you can't get out of it and you just dig yourself into a hole and you don't want people seeing what you're doing and you just want to go home. <laughs> right. Um, and it's amazing. Like some players have that where they struggle with it they're fighting it and then there's some players when the spotlight hits they just turn it on kick it into fifth gear like yeah. it, and it's not like they're saying oh i'm gonna it's just like they naturally yeah it, it comes to them like it's really easy or they, yeah. they thrive in that moment it's amazing how different and and there's people who are successful on both ends you know what I mean? yeah. there's also people who you know oh it's showtime and maybe they don't really aren't the Mm -hmm. best player or don't score the goal or don't win the game or whatever, but they're at ease with the process of it. And there's some people who can really be stressed out about the process. And it's like having a show, like some people just freak out about it Mm -hmm. and they can have a great show or they can freak out and they can like kind of paralyze them and they don't get anything done right. Or they, you know, yeah, I think it's different. You saying like the, what did you say? Like, it's like how you handle the process. I think, for me, when something's not going how I anticipated, which almost is almost every time, <laughs> um, because I'm going there with n- only my tools, I'll have an idea for material I'm looking for. But often, I was just in Miami, and 
you know, you find the weirdest stuff that you never could have imagined. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden the piece changes drastically. And I think, I mean, I do think it is a learned coping mechanism to be comfortable with a constant change and knowing that just because it's changing doesn't mean that the piece is not going to work. It just means that it's evolving into something that you didn't prepare for, which can be extremely, you know, nerve wracking, but somehow just, just through doing it, I've learned that almost every time something new presents itself, a challenge or something's not working with the equipment I'm using or the scaffolding's not up, there's just always something that'll click that actually kind of enhances the work. Yeah. Keeps you on your toes. Yeah. It's, it's not boring. Yeah. And I think I could easily see myself almost getting too formulaic with, okay, I show up, I get the material, I do it in this way. And somehow by going and having all of these unknowns, it allows for the work to grow in a way that yeah. is really helpful and well, for you're me. responding to, it's like a chef who cooks mm. in their kitchen every day. They know their ingredients. They yes. know the kitchen. It's going to be what it's going to be. Yes. And then imagine traveling around the world, showing up somewhere, finding the food. Right. And then <laughs> using all those ingredients. It's like some things are not going to go according to plan. Yeah. But it can really teach you how to adapt. It can give you more variety in what you're doing. Yeah. You know? And kind of being comfortable with maybe it doesn't, maybe it's a little bit awkward when you put it up. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I've gotten comfortable with putting something up and realizing later, like "Eh, I could, that could be better. And then maybe I'll revisit that idea. Um, but I think it is a little bit of showing your process a lot, like a chef, maybe working with new ingredients where, you know, it, it could use some fine tuning, but there's something kind of the inventive spirit of working with new things is, I don't know. It, it allows you to get to that place to then edit later. Yeah, and it teaches. It's constantly teaching you. Yeah. Nothing's getting stale, mm-hmm. which is really, you know, isn't it where art goes to die when it gets stale and, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, formulaic and it's just the same thing over and over. Right. I guess. Unless that's the work work. Like right. On Kawada. I was going to really, say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. was amazing and, yeah. Right, but you know what you're going to get when you see his work but in that, some ways. And that's the yeah. point. And it's, that's the sort of one-liner yeah, went on for every day, which is impressive too. It's the sustain of that, which is amazing. Right. And that's what makes it interesting. Right. Even it's though, like yeah. the three minutes of silence in a John Cage song. Yeah. Yeah. It's like on two minutes and 50 seconds, you're like, oh my God. And then when it kicks back in, you're like, you know, it's, right. it's that experience, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you've become like really flexible in the way that you're you know, there's a lot of chance in your work too, right? Like yeah. what you're finding, what the space is like. Mm-hmm. And and that's, I, I would imagine that's a really exciting way to work. It probably feels fresh. I mean, when I do animation, that's mm-hmm. my one area. Mm-hmm. Or if I do murals outside mm-hmm. it. But when I do animation, there's so many different ways that's shown or seen. Yeah. Projected TVs, like on outside of buildings, inside, you know, mm-hmm. that it's not as much of a variable, but that is super exciting to me. You yeah. know what I mean? To have a, a, a some sort of like malleable way to show the work yeah. other than just the white cube. Yeah. And I think that's what, um, for better or worse in some instances, the architecture of the space becomes just as much a part of the piece as the piece itself. Um, especially because many times people are seeing my work through the photography, the documentation yeah. of the work rather than in person. Right. And so if it's in a beautiful space um you know 
it really can elevate the work if there's like a weird drop ceiling and carpet everywhere. It changes the piece, but that's really interesting to me where, um, you know, not every space I'm working in is the beautiful white cube where it's this kind of isolated experience. The work really kind of steps into reality and the kind of reality of awkward, weird, like often lobby spaces. Right. Um, where a lot of other choices made by other people, the architect, designers, whatever, are then kind of influencing my work and hopefully my work is influencing the space. Yeah. It's funny though how that changes the way the work's seen. You know? Oh yeah. Yeah. This is an idea. We start a start an Instagram account where you Photoshop <laughs> in your artwork into like palaces and like yeah. really weird, gaudy yeah. places and just see what the <laughs> interpretation of the work. Yeah. Have you ever seen a piece that wasn't site specific that went somewhere and then you see it after the fact and it's weird because yes isn't that strange like really weird when you see your work somewhere different and hung in a way that you never would hang it you're like whoa that's totally different vibe yeah i went into a collector's house recently and my piece was hung in their baby's room and it was right above the crib of where they which is like right i was like (laughs) huh all of a sudden i'm like huh Am I making baby art? Like, yeah. is that right? <laughs> like, is that putting the baby to sleep each night by slowly rotating over the crib? Yeah, it's like this like <laughs> weird, wonky, constructed. I mean, to me, I was like, oh gosh, I hope I made that okay, where it's not gonna like come crashing down this baby. Um, but even that, you know, in the room there was this crib and like one of those kind of tents that looks like a castle. And there was one of those like foam kind of ABC play oh, yeah, carpet yeah, 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 yeah. rug I know things. What you're talking about. Um, and I just thought it was the best thing ever. I mean, to see my work in that context, so weird. Um, but I loved it. I mean, I I think actually that's where I like seeing my work the best is in people's houses when it's, there's like the residue of daily life just surrounded, um, by it. Yeah. Yeah, I love seeing a large painting of mine crammed into a space. that's (laughs) totally not appropriate for, you know, it's kind of fun to see that. It's like, well, they really wanted it. And they shoved it in there. They like barely squeezed it in that yeah. space. Mm-hmm. But it's it's kind of nice to see it in a new in a new way. Yeah. You know, which I think is what we you you want the work to go on, to have a life afterwards. But I mean I think I I don't want to say jealous, but I'm en- envious a little bit of that the idea of being able that that you can go somewhere and just work with those materials and respond in real time. It's a really I don't want to say performative, but you know what I mean? It's, it's kind yeah. of like a real, there's a realness to it that's really um, interesting and kind of seemingly exhilarating. I'm sure just like talking about jobs. Yeah. Maybe sometimes it's not as glamorous <laughs> or exciting as you, or it's I'm sure it's like, a pain sometimes or difficult yeah. or stressful, but, but there is something like real about it, you know? Yeah. I think it's, it's one of those instances too, like grass is always greener because I often come into my studio and say to myself, I wish I was just one of those people that made a drawing that could sit on a table with two materials, like paper and colored pencil. Right. Um, There's something so, I don't know, like pack rat about my work where it involves so many different components. And I feel like I'm always carting all these things around. You know, it's just this, it's just a different way of working but I, I realized that I'm the type of person that could never sit down and make the colored pencil drawings I would like fold it in half and then right. you know punch a hole through it and like and, <laughs> yeah and if you grew up in a house that was never in disrepair never being yeah. renovated and was just a static 
normal little house, you'd probably be bored off your ass. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You'd be like, I can't deal with this. I need something to change. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, we're like creatures of habit. In yeah. A way. And unconsciously taking in like all these things that feel, they become us because mm-hmm. that's what we've experienced. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So what do you, are you working on anything specific right now? Do you have anything coming up? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of slowly working towards a, a, a solo show at Smackmelon in the mm-hmm. fall. Um, that's going to be a big space, that's right? That's a huge yeah. space. It's a little bit intimidating, even for me when I feel like I often work in really large spaces, but the space is so specific. Um, it has this kind of ruin industrial garage space um, right on the water right on the water a lot of columns in the space which um it's actually really interesting to me the kind of form architectural form of a column has Mm -hmm. been floating in and out of my work for a while so i'm working on a way to figure out how to kind of i don't know capture the columns of the space i guess and make them mine there's there's a column right behind you (laughs) (laughs) yeah we're surrounded um, Are you going to take any pieces of that playground and just take them out and move them in? <laughs> yeah, the playground the right outside. Right yeah, there. yeah. Yeah, and that's the kind of um, difficulty. Like something that could be massive in my studio will just be dwarfed in the yeah. space. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot to do. Um, but I'm excited by the challenge of it. And, when, when's um, it scheduled to open? not positive roughly october november um and there's gonna my kind of vision for it is there's gonna be a lot of components that make up this extremely large scale it's gonna be one whole installation yeah um and so yeah there's a lot of work i also just moved into the studio relatively recently and so i've been trying to um maybe you can relate to this but the last few years i've just been saying yes a lot mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um because in order to make my work i i need the space of the projects right. um and so when i say no i'm just making work in my studio and to me that's really important right now i'm in this new space i'm kind of nesting mm-hmm. and so i'm excited the next few months to just be in my space right. and think about my space as the site rather than always thinking about these other locations. Right. MySpace. <laughs> Not that kind of MySpace. Right, a different MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, where else can people, people can see your work on your website? Yeah, my website, uh, if you Google my name, there's a bunch of stuff that comes up. Not to be confused with the Harry Potter character, Katie Bell. Oh, yeah. Which that's is um, kind of a... Irritating? Slightly irritating. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you yeah, there's a lot of stuff on the internet. Is your name Catherine? Technically, yeah, I've never gone by Catherine, but Katie Bell, yes, right. is my name. Katie Bell. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for having me over. Yeah, it's thanks cool so to much. See the, the laboratory where like these ideas start and like you know your space. Thanks so much. Thank you. Sound and Vision was conceived, produced, recorded, edited, mastered, and facilitated by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find images that I take from the podcast sessions by going to the images page on the website soundandvisionpodcast.com. You can find even more images on the podcast Instagram feed at Sound and Vision Podcast. 
If you love hearing these artists speak about their life and work, please support the podcast by rating and reviewing it on iTunes. It's also available on Stitcher and Google Play. You can even donate to help support the podcast by clicking the donate button on the webpage. The introduction and accompanying music was generously provided by Michael Lovett. Michael records as Nazca Lines and also Moonlights in the band Metronomy. The bio and outro music were provided by Sean Seymour. Sean and his wife Yoshimi are a band called Lullatone based in Nagoya, Japan. Thanks to them and also Jacob Tutu and Logan Takahashi who have also lent music to the podcast. Thanks to all the listeners who share and support the podcast. All this is done by myself without funding and ads, and it really is you all who help spread the word, and you spread it well. Many thanks to all of you and all the artists for sharing their stories and time with me.